Chapters one hundred and twelve through one hundred and sixteen of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume One, translated by John Addington Simons, Chapter. 112 through 116. Chapter 112. So the governor came to see me. Two days before he had been made bishop of Jesse, and when he entered he said, Friend Benvenuto, although my office is wont to frighten men, I come to set your mind at rest, and to do this I have full authority from his holiness' own lips who told me how he also escaped from Sant'Angelo, but had many aids and much company, else he would not have been able to accomplish it. I swear by the sacraments which I carry on my person, for I was consecrated bishop two days since, that the Pope has set you free and pardoned you, and is very sorry for your accident. Attend to your health, and take all things for the best, for your imprisonment, which you certainly underwent without a shadow of guilt, will have been of for your perpetual welfare. Henceforward you will tread down poverty, and will have to go back to France, wearing out your life in this place and in that. Tell me then frankly how the matter went, and who rendered you assistance. Afterwards take comfort, repose, and recover. I began at the beginning— and related the whole story exactly as it had happened, giving him the most minute countersigns, down to the water-carrier who bore me on his back. When the governor had heard the whole, he said, Of a surety these are two great exploits for one man alone. No one but you could have performed them. So he made me reach my hand forth, and said, Be of good courage, and comfort your heart. For by this hand which I am holding, you are free, and if you live, shall live in happiness. While thus conversing with me, he had kept a whole heap of great lords and noblemen waiting, who were come to visit me, saying one to the other, Let us go to see this man who works miracles. So when he departed, they stayed by me, and one made me offers of kindness, and another made me presents. While I was being entertained this way, the governor returned to the Pope, and reported all that I had said. As chance would have it, Signor Pier Luigi, the Pope's son, happened to be present, and all the company gave signs of great astonishment. His Holiness remarked, Of a truth, this is a marvellous exploit. Then Pier Luigi began to speak as follows. Most blessed father, if you set that man free, he will do something still more marvellous, because he has by far too bold a spirit. I will tell you another story about him, which you do not know. That Benvenuto of yours, before he was imprisoned, came towards with a gentleman of Cardinal Santa Fiore, about some trifle, which the latter had said to him. Now Benvenuto's retort was so swaggeringly insolent, that it amounted to throwing down a cartel. The gentleman referred the matter to the cardinal, who said that if he once laid hands on Benvenuto, he would soon clear his head of such folly. 
When the fellow heard this, he got a little fowling piece of his ready, with which he is accustomed to hit a penny in the middle. Accordingly, one day, when the cardinal was looking out of a window, Benvenuto's shop being under the place of the cardinal, he took his gun and pointed it upon the cardinal. The cardinal, however, had been warned, and presently withdrew. Benvenuto, in order that his intention might escape notice, aimed at a pigeon which was brooding high up in a hole of the palace, and hit it exactly in the head, a feat one would have thought incredible. Now let your holiness do what you think best about him. I have discharged my duty by saying what I have. It might even come into his head, imagining that he had been wrongly imprisoned, to fire upon your holiness. Indeed, he is too truculent, by far too confident in his own powers. When he killed Pompeo, he gave him two stabs with a poniard in the throat, in the midst of ten men who were guarding him. Then he escaped to their great shame, and yet they were no inconsiderable persons. CHAPTER 113 While these words were being spoken, the gentleman of Santa Fiore, with whom I had that quarrel, was present, and confirmed to the Pope what had been spoken by his son. The Pope swelled with rage, but said nothing. I shall now proceed to give my own version of the affair, truly and honestly. This gentleman came to me one day, and showed me a little gold ring, which had been discolored by quicksilver, saying at the same time, Polish up this ring for me, and be quick about it. I was engaged at the moment upon jewel-work of gold and gems of great importance. Besides, I did not care to be ordered about so haughtily by a man I had never seen or spoken to. So I replied that I did not happen to have by me the proper tool for cleaning up this ring, and that he had better go to another goldsmith. Without further provocation he retorted that I was a donkey, whereupon I said that he was not speaking the truth, that I was a better man than he in every respect, but that if he kept on irritating me I would give him harder kicks than any donkey could. He related the matter to the cardinal, and painted me as black as the devil in hell. Two days afterward I shot a wild pigeon in a cleft high up behind the palace. The bird was brooding in that cleft, and I had often seen a goldsmith named Giovanni Francesco della Tacca from Milan fire at it, but he never hit it. On the day when I shot it, the pigeon scarcely showed its head, being suspicious because it had been so often fired at. Now this Giovan Francesco and I were rivals in shooting wildfowl, and some gentlemen of my acquaintance, who happened to be at my shop, called my attention, saying, Up there is Giovan Francesco della Tacca's pigeon, at which he has so often fired. Look now, the poor creature is so frightened that it hardly ventures to put its head out. I raised my eyes and said, That morsel of its head is quite enough for me to shoot it by, if it only stays till I can point my gun. The gentleman protested that even the man who invented firearms could not hit it. I replied, I bet a bottle of that excellent Greek wine, Palombo, the host keeps, 
that if it keeps quiet long enough for me to point my good bar cardo, so I used to call my gun, I will hit it in that portion of its head which it is showing. So I aimed my gun, elevating my arms, and using no other rest, and did what I promised, without thinking of the cardinal or any other person. On the contrary, I held the cardinal for my very good patron. Let the world, then, take notice, when fortune has the will to ruin a man, how many diverse ways she takes. The Pope, swelling with rage and grumbling, remained revolving what his son had told him. Chapter 114 Two days afterwards, the Cardinal Cornaro went to beg a bishopric from the Pope for a gentleman of his, called Messer Andrea Santano. The Pope in truth had promised him a bishopric, and this being now vacant, the Cardinal reminded him of his word. The Pope acknowledged his obligation, but said that he too wanted a favor from his most reverend lordship, which was that he would give up benvenuto to him on this the cardinal replied oh if your holiness has pardoned him and set him free at my disposal what will the world say of you and me the pope answered i want benvenuto you want the bishopric let the world say what it chooses the good cardinal entreated his holiness to give him the bishopric and for the rest to think the matter over and then to act according as his holiness decided. The Pope, feeling a certain amount of shame at so wickedly breaking his word, took what seemed a middle course. I will send for Benvenuto, and in order to gratify the whim I have, will put him in those rooms which open on my private garden. There he can attend to his recovery, and I will not prevent any of his friends from coming to visit him. Moreover, I will defray his expenses until his caprice of mine has left me. The cardinal came home and sent the candidate for his this bishopric on the spot to inform me that the Pope was resolved to have me back, but that he meant to keep me in a ground-floor room in his private garden, where I could receive the visits of my friends, as I had done in his own house. I implored this Messer Andrea, to ask the cardinal not to give me up to the pope, but to let me act on my own account. I would have myself wrapped up in a mattress, and carried to a safe place outside Rome, for if he gave me up to the pope, he would certainly be sending me to death. It is believed that when the cardinal heard my petition, he was not ill-disposed to grant it. But Messer Andrea, wanting to secure the bishopric, denounced me to the Pope, who sent at once and had me lodged in the ground-floor chamber of his private garden. The Cardinal sent me word not to eat the food provided for me by the Pope. He would supply me with provisions. Meanwhile I was to keep my spirits up, for he would work in my cause till I was set free. Matters being thus arranged, I received daily visits and generous offers, from many great lords and gentlemen. Food came from the Pope, which I refused to touch, only eating that which came from Cardinal Cornaro, and thus I remained a while. 
I had among my friends a young Greek of the age of twenty-five years. He was extremely active in all physical exercises, and the best swordsman in Rome, rather poor-spirited, however, but loyal to the backbone, honest and ready to believe what people told him. He had heard it said to that the Pope made known his intention of compensating me for all I had gone through. It is true that the Pope began by saying so, but he ended by saying quite the opposite. I then determined to confide in the young Greek and said to him, Dearest brother, they are plotting my ruin, so now the time has come to help me. Do they imagine, when they heap those extraordinary favors on me, that I am not aware they are done to betray me? The worthy young man answered, My benvenuto, they say in Rome that the Pope has bestowed on you an office with an income of five hundred crowns. I beseech you, therefore, not to let those suspicions deprive you of so great a windfall. All the same, I begged him with clasped hands to aid me in escaping from that place, saying I knew well that the Pope of the sort, though he could do me much good if he chose, was really studying secretly, and to save appearances how he might best destroy me. Therefore we must be quick, and try to save me from his clutches. If my friend would get me out of that place by the means I meant to tell him, I should always regard him as the saviour of my life, and when occasion came would lay it down for him with gladness. The poor young man shed tears and cried, Oh, my dear brother, though you are bringing destruction on your head, I cannot but fulfil your wishes. So explain your plan, and I will do whatever you may order. I'll bait much against my will. Accordingly, we came to an agreement, and I disclosed to him the details of my scheme, which was certain to have succeeded without difficulty. When I hoped that he was coming to execute it, he came and told me, that for my own good he meant to disobey me, being convinced of the truth of what he had heard from men close to the Pope's person, who understood the real state of my affairs. Having nothing else to reply upon, I remained in despair and misery. This passed on the day of Corpus Domini, 1539. Chapter 115 after my conversation with the Greek, the whole day wore away, and at night there came abundant provisions from the kitchen of the Pope. The Cardinal Coronaro also sent good store of viands from his kitchen, and some friends of mine being present when they arrived, I made them stay to supper, and enjoyed their society, keeping my leg in splints beneath the bedclothes. An hour after nightfall they left me, and two of my servants, having made me comfortable for the night, went to sleep in the antechamber. I had a dog, black as a mulberry, one of those hairy ones, who followed me admirably when I went out shooting, and never left my side. During the night he lay beneath my bed, and I had to call out at least three times to my servant to turn him out, because he howled so fearfully. When the servants entered, the dog flew at them and tried to bite them. They were frightened, 
and thought he must be mad, because he went on howling. In this way we passed the first four hours of the night. At the stroke of four, the bargello came into my room with a band of constables. Then the dog sprang forth and flew at them with such fury, tearing their capes and hose, that in their fright they fancied he was mad. But the bargello, like an experienced person, told them, It is the nature of good dogs to divine and foretell the mischance coming on their masters. Two of you take sticks and beat the dog off, while the others strap Benvenuto on this chair. Then carry him to the place you wot off. It was, as I have said, the night after Corpus Domini, and about four o'clock. The officers carried me, well shut up and covered, and four of them went in front, making the few passengers, who were still abroad, get out of the way. So they bore me to Torre di Nona, such is the name of the place, and put me in the condemned cell. I was left upon a wretched mattress, under the care of a guard, who kept all night mourning over my bad luck, and saying to me, Alas, poor Benvenuto, what have you done to those great folk? I could now form a very good opinion of what was going to happen to me, partly by the place in which I found myself, and also by what the man had told me. During a portion of that night I kept racking my brains, what the cause could be, why God thought fit to try me so, and not being able to discover it, I was violently agitated in my soul. The guard did the best he could to comfort me, but I begged him for the love of God to stop talking, seeing I should be better able to compose myself alone in quiet. He promised to do as I asked, and then I turned my whole heart to God, devoutly entreating him to deign to make me into his kingdom. I had, it is true, murmured against my lot, because it seemed to me that, so far as human laws go, my departure from the world in this way would be too unjust. It is true also that I had committed homicides, but his vicar had called me from my native city, and pardoned me by the authority he had from him, and from the laws. And what I had done, had all been done in defence of the body which his majesty had lent me. So I could not admit that I deserved death, according to the dispensation, under which man dwells here. But it seemed that what was happening to me was the same as what happens to unlucky people in the street, when a stone falls from some great height upon their head and kills them. This we see clearly to be the influence of the stars. Not, indeed, that the stars conspire to do as good or evil, but the effect results from their conjunctions, to which we are subordinated. At the same time I know that I am possessed of free will, and if I could exert the face of a saint, I am sure that the angels of heaven would bear me from this dungeon, and relieve me of all my afflictions, yet inasmuch as God has not deemed me worthy of such miracles, I conclude that those celestial influences must be wreaking their malignity upon me. In this long struggle of the soul I spent some time. Then I found comfort, and fell presently asleep. 
Chapter 116 When the day dawned, the guard waked me up and said, O oh, unfortunate but worthy man, you have no more time to go on sleeping, for one is waiting here to give you evil news. I answered, The sooner I escape from this earthly prison, the happier shall I be, especially as I am sure my soul is saved, and that I am going to an undeserved death. Christ, the glorious and divine, elects me to the company of his disciples and friends, who, like himself, were condemned to die unjustly. I too am sentenced to an unjust death, and I thank God with humility for this sign of grace. Why does not the man come forward who has to pronounce my doom? The guard replied, He is too grieved for you, and sheds tears. Then I called him by his name of Messer Benedetto da Cagli, and cried, Come forward, Messer Benedetto, my friend, for now I am resolved and in good frame of mind. Far greater glory is it for me to die unjustly than if I had deserved this fate. Come forward, I beg, and let me have a priest, in order that I may speak a couple of words with him. I do not indeed stand in need of this, for I have already made my heart's confession to my Lord God, yet I should like to observe the ordinances of our Holy Mother Church. For though she has done me this abominable wrong, I pardon her with all my soul. So come, friend Messer Benedetto, and dispatch my business before I lose control over my better instincts. After I had uttered these words, the worthy man told the guard, to lock the door, because nothing could be done without his presence. He then repaired to the house of Signor Pierluigi's wife, who happened to be in company with the Duchess, of whom I spoke above. Presenting himself before them both, he spoke as follows. My most illustrious mistress, I entreat you for the love of God to tell the Pope that he must send someone else to pronounce sentence upon Benvenuto, and perform my office. I renounce the task, and am quite decided not to carry it through. Then sighing, he departed with the strongest signs of inward sorrow. The Duchess, who was present, frowned and said, So this is the fine justice dealt out here in Rome by God's vicar. The Duke, my late husband, particularly esteemed this man for his good qualities and eminent abilities. He was unwilling to let him return to Rome, and would gladly have kept him close to his own person. Upon this she retired, muttering words of indignation and displeasure. Signor Pierluigi's wife, who was called Signora Gerolima, betook herself to the Pope, and threw herself upon her knees before him, in the presence of several cardinals. She pleaded my cause so warmly that she woke the Pope to shame, whereupon he said, For your sake we will leave him quiet, yet you must know that we had no ill will against him. These words he spoke because of the cardinals who were around him, and had listened to the eloquence of that brave-spirited lady. Meanwhile I abode in extreme discomfort, and my heart kept thumping against my ribs. 
not less was the discomfort of the men appointed to discharge the evil business of my execution but when the hour for dinner was already past they betook themselves to their several affairs and my meal was also served me this filled me with a glad astonishment and i exclaimed for once truth has been stronger than the malice of the stars i pray god therefore that if it be his pleasure he will save me from this fearful peril then i fell to eating with the same stout heart for my salvation as i had previously prepared for my perdition i dined well and afterwards remained without seeing or hearing any one until an hour after nightfall at that time the bargello arrived with a large part of his guard and had me replaced in the chair which brought me on the previous evening to the prison he spoke very kindly to me bidding me be under no apprehension and bade his constables take good care not to strike against my broken leg but to treat me as though i were the apple of their eye the men obeyed and brought me to the castle whence i had escaped then when we had mounted to the keep they left me shut up in a dungeon opening upon a little court there is there end of chapters one hundred and twelve through one hundred and sixteen